0: It is apparent to all of us that we have appointments that we all need to make at the end of our lives. The Word of God says in Hebrews nine twenty seven, And it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. Notice the words there, it is appointed unto man once to die. You see, we have two appointments to be exact, I believe. First, we have an appointment with death. As the Bible says in Hebrews 9, like I quoted just a moment ago, and we have no power over death, and we considered that even last Sunday night, and that we could fight death, we could try to fight the grave. No, uh, of course, we're going to be bound to it, and that unexpected day will come to us, and we will have to make that appointment. And then secondly, we have an appointment of judgment as well, the Bible says, and there are two ways to go. And uh, number one, we have the great white throne judgment. Those who now receive Christ, the books will be opened, the Bible says in Revelation, and they will be judged according to their works, and not to be justified, but to find themselves to be guilty, and of course, at that time, it will be too late to be saved, and they'll be announced guilty once and for all, and they'll be plunging into the lake of fire. And also, there's that second judgment called the second, uh, the judgment seat of Christ, and those who receive Christ, which is... And we thank God for that. Those whose names are written in the book of life, our good and bad works will be judged by our Savior. And of course, uh, 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 all the things that we have done according to His purpose and also His will—hey, those will remain. But many of us might have wood, hay, and stubble, and uh, fire Uh, will try that. And then, of course, it will be uh, will be truly uh, left with nothing. And but I'm simply saying, and uh, we have these appointments coming, and I hope you are saved, born again, and you have received Christ your personal Savior, and that you're avoiding the great white throne judgment, but you're making the appointment in the judgment seat of Christ and that you have all received Jesus as your personal Savior. And if you have not done so, I encourage you to do that even tonight. And it's never too late to be saved. I think about our, how our days are counting down for those appointments. And it is Paul who wrote 2,000 years ago, Romans 13, verse 11, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. He said that 2,000 years ago. And how much are we more near to this appointment and to this time where we will enter eternity and uh, uh, Christ might come back any moment and uh, the trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ shall rise first and our mortality will put on immortality in the blink of an eye, and as we are anticipating his coming, and we uh, hope that he would come anytime soon, and uh, but I want to encourage you: we also need to be ready for our days to end, and the alternative through death. And I think about Apostle Paul was always ready for death, for he said in Philippians chapter one, verse twenty-one: "For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And but if I live in the flesh, is the fruit of my labor yet what I shall choose? I will not." For I am in strait between two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. You see, he did not fear death, but he favored death. And, uh, you know, people in the world might think he might have a psychological problem. But, hey, for us as Christians, death is a great appointment because we get to see the Lord Jesus Christ on the other side. And we thank God for that. And uh, I hope we share that same desire as the Apostle Paul if, if the Lord calls us home today. Hey, we're thrilled and that we get to be with him. And uh, that is not something to be, to be fearful about, but to be favored. And uh, I think about uh, the, when the timing came for the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4. For I am now ready to be offered, and the ta- time of my depi- departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And uh, what a great encouraging words that Apostle Paul penned down 2,000 years ago so that we could be encouraged in this 21st century. And why was he always ready? Because he knew his brief days here on earth was spent for the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you looking forward to that day in the judgment seat of Christ? And uh, I believe many people are looking for that day when you see Jesus because I believe they're living to the full potential for the Lord Jesus. I know in every sense that we cannot... Uh, uh, try to do our best and be always satisfied in knowing that we did all that we can. I know in every sense that we want to do more and that we want to see the grace of God abound in our lives more than ever. And we always feel like we have come short and we could have done more. But I hope you have at least some reservation in your heart in knowing, hey, I try to be submissive to the will of God. I try to be submissive to the commandments of God. And I try to do what he wants me to do rather than what I I want to do. I'm looking forward to that day to see my Savior Jesus Christ and for Him to say, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. And I believe a person who has that anticipation for eternity is a person who is spending his life for the Lord Jesus Christ. And Apostle Paul had that. Missionary C.T. Stubb once said, Only one life to soon be passed, only what's done for Christ. And uh, with that, two statement, he wrote a wonderful poem. I encourage you to Google that, and lengthier uh, poem that he wrote. It's a great encouragement, and I happened to read that this past week, and, and I was somewhat discouraged, and I realized as I read that poem, hey, I only have one life, and this one life needs to be spent for the Lord Jesus Christ. And why else try to venture out to different things? Why else try to do other things in my own, I guess, plan and in my own timing? No, I want to make sure I do things for the Lord Jesus Christ. For he has saved me, he has redeemed me. Hey, uh, uh, I have heaven as my home because of him. Why not spend this life for him? And uh, uh, I printed that poem, a CT stud. I put it on my cubicle just for encouragement. I do encourage you to read that sometime. It's a great encouragement. And uh, I believe uh, every every day spent for Christ is no regret. Amen. Every day spent for Christ is no regret. A lady once asked John Wesley if he knew that he would if he if he knew that he would die at midnight the next day, how would he spend the intervening time? He replied, "Why, madam, just as I s- intend to spend it now, I will preach this evening at Gl- Gloucester and again at five, morning, uh, five, uh, five tomorrow morning." And after that, I would ride to uh, Tuckersbury, preach in the afternoon, and meet the societies in the evening. I would then go to Martin's house, talk and pray with the family as usual, retire myself to the room at 10 o'clock, commend myself to my Heavenly Father, lie down to rest, and wake up in glory. And, uh, you know, what John Wesley was implying was that he would not change God's purpose and plan or even schedule for his life life on the last day because he had no sense of regret, because he was living for the Lord Jesus Christ. And, ladies and gentlemen, when we live for Christ, it is full. There is no regret. And uh, tonight, I'd like to briefly encourage you, Five clear facts of our days of brevity that will encourage us to live for God. So first of all, if you're taking notes, it's five point, simple points tonight in Psalm 90. Number one, first of all, our days are tales. Our days are tales. The Bible says in verse 9, For our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our ear as a tale that is told. The days of our years are three-score years, and ten, if by reason of strength they be four-score years. The average life is 70 years old. That's what Moses is implying. And by the reason of strength, is 80. It is a brief time in comparison to centuries and millennia. And I'm always more sober in my perception of life when I'm at a burial site. I see the tombstones of many who have gone on before, their names carved. Their birthday, birth date is carved and their death date is carved, and many of the people's lives is only described by one hyphen. Someone was born and someone died, and their lives are just hyphens. and that's how my life will be described to a stranger who will pass by my tombstone one day, at the Lord carries is coming. Now, we know that everyone's life is more than a description of a hyphen, but the Bible does compare it as a tale that is told. A tale is a brief story that is told, and our lives can be summarized as a tale. And with this in mind, as we recognize that it is a tale, I wonder what kind of tale it will be. And how will people describe you and I when we die? And how will people summarize our lives? How will people conclude our lives? How will people learn from our short story of life? Oh, good, good question for all of us. Will they talk about our accomplishments or what Christ accomplished through us? That's a big difference, my friend. And you can have all the accomplishments you want, and you can work for those goals. But I believe the greatest accomplishment is when Christ works in us and that Christ worked through us. And uh, many people uh, tend to think that success is by what we gain and what we have and what we achieve in our own power. No, I believe the greatest success for every Christian is what God has done in their lives, and what God is working in that inward man and how that inward man is renewed day by day. By the way, our accomplishments can always be outdone by somebody else. It will have less meaning because of that reason. But what Christ does in us, how he changes us, how he conforms us into his image, that is truly an accomplishment that no one can copy or duplicate or even do better. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm just simply saying the greatest accomplishment in your life is what God has done in your life. I believe the greatest accomplishment in a person is who they were and, and what not what they have done. The only person who can change and improve who we are—it is God. And thank God we're saved. God changed our lives. And then after we're saved, God is continually changing. And that is the greatest accomplishment. That is the memory you need to leave behind you, uh, uh, behind you as you uh, uh, enter debt to your children and to your grandchildren. Who you were in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not how much money you made, and not what kind of car you drove, what kind of success you had in your talent, but who you were in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where it matters. That man of God was full of grace. That man of God was forgiving. That man of God was uh, uh, loving. And that woman of God was patient. That woman of God was virtuous submissive to a, uh, submissive to her husband and, and reared her children for the Lord. And, and that uh, 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 person uh, uh, was always merciful to others, not gossiping, but always gracious. Hey, that is a great accomplishment, what God has changed in your life and how it comes out in your life, my friend. That's where so, in this time of brevity, brevity and, and this time of tale that is told, I hope you live your life to the fullest in, in, in having God change you all the time. God change you all the time. And, uh, Brother Weaver, today, uh, as I was sitting with him at lunch, and he's enjoying that Korean soup, the spicy one, and he said, It's making my nose runny. <laughs> and, yes, sir, it does, doesn't it? And uh, I asked him, You know, do you have any advice for me? As, as you've been a pastor before, and you've been in full-time ministry, and he gave me statement after statement after statement, like a military drill, of the folks said, "You got to do this, you got to do that," da, da, da. and uh, and then he said this: the numerical goal is not the important thing. He said the will of God is, and that touched my heart. Not in the sense I'm uh, uh, content with, you know, uh, uh, not having people say, not having. Lives change. I want to see more of that in this church, don't you? We want to see more of that. I believe that's God's working. That's a, health, that's a great healthy church. But my primary goal is not my success and accomplishment and trying to make my own name. No, it's the will of God. It's the will of God. And he encouraged me, and it doesn't matter what you have in the future, if you're in God's will realize that that's a great success. And I thank God for that. And ladies and I, I'm just simply saying, it's not what you gain outwardly, it's what God has done in your heart and in your life. And as I think about my life with my children, you know, I want Annabelle and Josiah to know that they have a father who is sensitive to God's will and not a father who just made money and I'm nothing wrong with making money. I think you should. You should work, and you should be successful. And if, you, if God uses you in that way, wonderful. I am not putting that down. I think, I think that's a great goal to have in your life. But more than that, let's be quite frank. You want your children to remember you as a great Christian who loved the Lord and who was changed day by day to become like Jesus. And uh, that's what my children need to see in me. How Jesus Christ saved me. From there, everything changed. And that from there, I had to give up art. I had to give up the secular field. And that I was sensitive to the will of God. I don't know what God has in store for my children. But I want them to be in the will of God for their lives. And I'm sure that is your heart as well for your children. And that challenge has to come by your own testimony, how you live in God's will. Not what you gain, but who you become for the Lord Jesus. You only have a tale that is told. How are you going to live? How are you going to live? And I hope you live a life to the fullest, living for Jesus and becoming more like Him. Secondly, our days have toils. Our days have toils. Verse 9 it says, Yet is there strength labor? and <coughs> sorrow let's face the reality that our lives are full of labor sweat work and even sorrow and we live for work and work exists because of us and we work socially and we work physically we also even try work religiously and that's why Christ said in Matthew 11 verse 28 to those Jews come unto me all ye that labor and heavy laden and i will give you rest and and in the discipleship today we read a portion about how Jesus Christ I was rebuking the Jews and saying, hey, you always had the tradition of man and trying to have, uh, uh, you know, a clean pots and, and clean dishes and all these different things, and, and these are the tradition of man that you imparted unto people, and, and you bear much burden. And, uh, and many people living in those days, even now, the Jews are carrying that burden and trying to be legalistic in their religious effort, and, and they're truly burned out, but they truly want to be sincere in that manner, and they keep on going anyways. And unsaved people have much labor and burdens, and, uh, and uh, even Christians today, I believe, they have much labor and burdens, and Christ had much compassion on the multitude, those who bear burdens in their lives, in Matthew 9, verse 36, but when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. You see, a lot of people are fainting. Yes, they're working, and they're <coughs> providing for their family, and, and uh, even those unsaved people are working religiously, and, and they're truly burnt out day to day, and they're working and working and working, and Jesus Christ has compassion for those people. And you might ask Christians tonight, hey, and we're to, to be honest with you, we're working a lot, and we have full of labor, and, and we're uh, always sweating, and, and uh, we're also uh, reaping sorrow because of all the things we need to do. And, uh, but what a wonderful thing that we could find rest in the Holy Spirit and that we could truly find great, wonderful peace in the Holy Spirit. And labor and work is what we have to do. However, I want to encourage you that we could get sidetracked to think that that is all there is. That's not all there is. And uh, Ecclesiastes 2.11, Then I look on all the works that I had my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labor to do, and behold, all was vanity and vaccination of Spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. And let's be honest, you get tired. You get weary. You can't. Let's be honest. I, I, I don't know a single person today who can't wait to go to work tomorrow. And uh, if you are, and uh, let me know your secret ingredient. I'm sure there's something drawing you back. Hey, I wish I had a day off or something like that, or I had a time of relaxation. And I'm sure all of us have that feeling all the time, and you want to find some rest. And and but you got to work anyways. You got to labor, and and you got to do all these things. And I'm not in any sense putting down work. I think we need to do that. But as we work and labor, and we get sidetracked, and We think that's all there is and we get disappointed and and we truly have the vexation of spirit and and we get discouraged about life. But let's face it, my friend, there's a greater calling than that. The greater calling is to find rest in the Lord Jesus Christ, having that love, having that joy, having that peace, having that long-suffering, having that gentleness, goodness, faith, and uh, 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 meekness and temperance, hey, there is a greater joy in that. And find yourself in the Holy Spirit, be filled with him, and realize that even though as you're laboring, as you're working, there's a great, wonderful life that you should rejoice about, and you should be grateful for this time that God has given you. And don't be discouraged, my friend. And the other side of the note, you know, some are addicts to work and labor, I want to warn you that labor is not all there is in life. Realize that there should be uh, greater works than those leading people to Christ and uh, mentoring others for Jesus Christ and loving others, forgiving others, and giving toward others, giving toward mission. Hey, those things will truly last. And whatever you work for in your labor, hey, you'll just simply put that down in this lifetime and you won't take it with you. But what you do for Jesus, for all eternity and his people, you'll take it with you. And live for that. Don't be distracted by labor and work and toil that you have gained. Number three, our days are temporary. For it is soon cut off, we fly away. <coughs> James chapter 4, the Bible says in verse 13 through fifth, down to 16, Go to now, yes, say, today or tomorrow we shall go into a such a city. Continue there here, buy and sell, and get gain, whereas you know what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeared for a little time, and then vanishes away. For you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now rejoice in your boasting. All such rejoicing is evil. As we have a life that is so brief, we tend to make fast decisions. and, uh, And our hasty spirit often gets us to go outside of God's will. And life is fragile, somebody has said. Handle it with prayer. I mean, you heard that before? Raise your hand, okay? I'm sure many of you have heard, saw that code, or maybe uh, saw a little picture of that code. You know, it is true. Life is fragile, and we need to handle it with prayer. And the Bible says, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. And life, our lives will soon be cut off, and we fly away. We only have temporary life here, and let us make sure we make every decision, every choice. Based on the will of God, not based on the will of man, not based on us either. We can easily be deceived thinking that what we do is of God. That's what uh, uh, many people get uh, sidetracked. I think about John Wesley wrote in why Christian sins, uh, uh, sin, I'm sorry, why Christian sin? He said, "Do not hastily ascribe things to God. Do not easily suppose dreams, voices, impressions, visions, or revelation to be from God. They may be from him. They may be from nature. They may be from the devil. you got to be very careful. And I'm not trying to doubt God's calling in your life, God's will for your life, but be very careful. Handle those things in prayer. Do not make hasty decisions. I think of Isaiah 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I think there's a great golf fix between a person who, is, who has infinite understanding and a person who has a finite understanding. And that's between God and us. God says, if I have a higher understanding than you. You might understand what I'm doing in this moment, but I need you to trust me. And we have a temporary life, my friend. Let's be more careful and be more patient. And uh, we only have just brief time here. Hey, why make hasty decisions? And why try to do everything so fast? Hey, let's just realize that God is in control. He'll make everything beautiful in his time. And that he is the one we need to trust with every schedule and every decision, every choice. Let's be very prayerful and be very careful. It's temporary, and you don't have too many days to make so many mistakes. And uh, we gotta do it very carefully, and we gotta walk circumspectly, as the Bible says, carefully and also analyzing where we're going and uh, really understanding what the will of the Lord is, because we gotta redeem the time. The days are evil, the Bible says, and we could walk into evil and walk in the wrong path. So easily. Number four, our days must be taught. Our days must be taught in verse 11, verse 12, who knoweth the power of that anger, even according to that fear, so is our wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And uh, it's very clear as much as we have this time of uh, brevity and this time of uh, uh, that is like a vapor that appeared for a little time and then vanished away. Hey, we got to count our days in wisdom. We got to teach ourselves and we got to get to know the Word of God and we got to memorize the Scripture and really uh, uh, put it, uh, uh, hide it in our hearts so that we may not sin against Him. And we got to be. Carefully walking in his wisdom today. I think about James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that give it to all men liberally. I like that. You know, God's not partial in his wisdom. And God's not going to give you, par- uh, 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 give wisdom uh, uh, partially and also uh, by the respect of persons. No, if you ask, if a five year old asked, if a 10 year old asked, if a 60 year old man asks, or a seven year old woman asks, hey, God's going to give them wisdom. Ask for God's wisdom, the Bible says, Abraided not, it shall be given him. Oh, let's not live foolish in this short life. We can live wisely. Why choose foolishness? And by the way, when we're truly wise, the world will call us fools. The world will call us fools. If they call you a bigot, they call you radical, and they call you crazy, hey, you're in a good, good standing right there against the world. You're different, and that also you're living a life that is truly wise according to the heavenly calling. And 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seem to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. And don't be so uh, 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 wise in this world that you are always mixing in with the world. No, the Bible says, hey, become a fool. Become a person who is different. We should not be taught by the world, by the way, but we should be taught by the Lord. If there's a conflict, God is wise and men are fools, God's people say. And we got to make sure we truly live in wisdom and and, uh, stick to this book, stick to this truth. And if you have known the truth, why not practice the truth? Why not live in wisdom and truly carry out the principle that God has given you? And if you truly believe that all scriptures inspire, why don't you live a life that is full of wisdom, rather, in faith? It could rebuke you, yes. It could reprove you, but also it could correct you and, and also give you instruction and in righteousness so that you may be thoroughly uh, 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 furnished unto all good works. That's what the Bible promises. It could apply in your life. You don't have to just have it as a knowledge in your head. You could live the Christian life in the wisdom, and you could live this life that is so short, taught by God, and living a life that is full. And uh, we have a good reference here called the Word of God. You know, someone has once said, a wise man learns by the experience of others. An ordinary man learns by his own experience. A fool learns by nobody's experience. We have a good reference here. And uh, we have good reference of all, of all, I mean, so many different people. And uh, so many uh, different type of characters. And and we can learn even from Adam and Eve. We can learn from Cain and Abel. We can learn from Joseph. We can learn from his brothers. And we can learn from Moses. We can learn from Joshua. We can learn from Samson. We can learn from Jeremiah. We can learn from so many people in this book. And God has given us a good reference so that we will not make the same mistakes that they have made. And we have the whole canon of the scripture right here. Amen? And as we have it, then we are more accountable to the Lord, not to live foolishly, but more wisely. That's a simple truth. So with that in mind, number five, I'm finished. Our days are complete in his tender mercy. The Bible says, return, O Lord, how long? And let it repent thee concerning thy servant. O oh, satisfy us early with thy mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us, and the years wherein we have sinned evil. According to Psalm 136, His mercy endureth for how long? Forever. His mercy endureth forever. If you look at that wonderful psalm, every single verse, His mercy endureth forever. The weeping prophet Jeremiah wrote, and I quote this: I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have I hope it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because of His. Compassion fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. And as we uh, think about Jeremiah's days, and I've been reading Jeremiah, a very interesting book. And and, uh, 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 he had uh, his uh, companion write uh, 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 the words of God into a scroll. And then uh, that scroll was delivered to the king. You know what the king did? Just tore it up, ripped it apart, and threw it in the fire. I mean, what a day of apostasy! Just Jeremiah was living in. and that uh, the city was taken by <coughs> uh, King uh, 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 Nebuchadnezzar, and once again the uh, 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 the Jewish people were suffering, and and uh, I mean they were consumed in our own eyes. And read the scripture, but Jeremiah looks up. It is of the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed because of His compassion he still saw how God's grace was sufficient to cover the people in their lifetime. And he realized that as we think about the will of God and even trials, I shared this with the college student several weeks ago. When you go through trial, many times we complain at God and you think it's not fair. And where is his mercy? Where is his compassion? And when we receive something great, we're not grateful, and we don't find grace in that area. But I would encourage you, if you receive something, it is freely given to you, and are—we don't deserve it, and that's why it's by grace. But when you go through your trial in your life, and you go through some different heartaches in your life, and different disappointments come along the way, hey, you can still find grace of God there. How? To realize that it could be worse. Be worse. Let's be honest. And it could be worse in the sense, hey, it could be truly overwhelming you and, and that God could have easily given you a trial that is truly above you, but God will never do that. There had no temptation taken you, but it's common to man. But God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape. He'll never give you a trial that you cannot bear and that you cannot in any sense seek God's help. he will always have that filtered, and he'll always give you grace, and that I hope you understand that it could always be worse. and be grateful for the trial that God has given you, and learn from it, and find this tender mercy. And you might be thinking, oh, there's so much full of sorrow in this brief time on earth, so many disappointments. People don't understand me. My relationships are all broken apart. My marriage is not happening as it should be. But find his tender mercy. Find the positive side of everything that God has given you. Find his grace. Find his grace. I think about my father. You know, he died early and and when I was 10 years old. And I could gripe about all I want to and thinking that God's not fair. How come he has not given me a father to raise me and to give me the right counsel? But I am so grateful now. I realize that it's by God's grace that his glory shines through a widow